Especially, I know the the past couple of years have been extremely challenging for teachers, and so thank you for all that you do. And uh, before before we jump into the text, we're going to pray for those uh, teachers and students within our congregation in our city. Um, with that transition uh, into a new season, we oftentimes start new sermon series that follow semesters, and we're doing that today. We're going to start a series in the book of Matthew, focusing on um, particular aspects of what's called the kingdom of God. And we're going to take a look at that in particular from our text today. And this is going to be from Matthew 8, verses 1 through 17. It's our practice to read through a portion of scripture and then pray. And then we'll talk about it for about 30 minutes. And so this is God's word to you today. This is from Matthew 8, verses 1 through 17. It says, when, the, when he came down from the mountain, and that's the Sermon on the Mount, the famous sermon that Jesus preached in chapter 5 through 7 in Matthew. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, and he touched him, saying, I will be, be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes and to another, come and he comes and to my servant, do this. And he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you. With no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In, the place, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house and he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. 
That little quote from Isaiah is uh, the, the, the blessed one who brings the good news. It's his feet that are blessed. And so um, in each a- as- aspect of your life, uh, we bear God's image. This is the testimony about human beings that if you're a teacher, if you're a nurse, if you are a, a businessman or woman, um, God can bear his image what he's like through you into the world and bring healing and cleansing. And that's what was going on with Jesus in, in Matthew 8. And so we're going to pray uh, for our teachers and our students that God would do that through them this semester. So let's spend some moments in silence and then I'll pray and then we'll talk about the text. Okay, let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, your people are so beautiful in your sight because of Jesus Christ. And we come to you in his name and by your spirit, which you have implanted within the hearts of human beings, that you would show what your kingdom is like, especially on the campuses of elementary, middle, and high schools, and at UNL, and at Wesleyan, and through the various ways in which teachers and students interact with each other, um, that you would bring healing where there has been wounding. Would you bring restoration where there has been brokenness? And we ask for a special level of unity and peace uh, among this semester and and all that that entails. And so, Lord, we thank you that the gospel gives us uh, every, every aspect of life the gospel speaks into. And so would you speak to us now and teach us what it means that you took our illnesses and you bore our diseases. In Christ's name, amen. So again, we're starting a new series. We do this at the beginning of most fall semesters every year. And we're going to do the Gospel of Matthew on into Christmas for the remainder of the year. And we're going to focus on a particular aspect of the Gospel called the Kingdom of God. Now, when a first century person, the time in which the Bible was written, when they heard the term gospel, what that meant to them was that there was an announcement of a new kind of rule or a new kind of ruler. And so when the emperor would change seats, they would send little runners out and say, hey, it's no longer uh, Caesar, but it's this other guy named Nero. That was an evangelist announcing that there was a new king in town. And that there was a new rule in place. Now, Jesus had just been giving this teaching on what his kingdom ethic, what his kingdom, what being in his kingdom is like in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's very counterintuitive. It says that blessed are those who cry all the time. Blessed are those who don't have money, but who are poor. And after he gets finished teaching, he goes into the world, into the lives of people and communities, individuals and and systems And he says, this I'm going to show you in practical, tangible form what it's like when the king brings his kingdom into those realms. And in particular, I'm going to show you what my power and authority look like in the world, engaged in the world. And the the irony is that it doesn't look like what we expect it to look like. 
And on top of that, the people that get it, the people that understand it, aren't the people that we think would understand it. In fact, it's the people that in the religious section of that day, it's the people that the religious folks kind of avoided that are like, I understand what this Christ guy is talking about. It, it's making sense to me. And so he moves towards people that we would typically move away from if we were in the first century, like a leper. We weren't supposed to get close to people like that. Like a Gentile, centurions, centurions were seen as the epitome of the enemy of God's people in the first century. And then he moves towards a woman. Uh, rabbis typically didn't do that. Rabbis typically got young men to follow them. Um, and Jesus is peculiar in that his kingdom is very, very different than what it would normally be thought of in that day. And what he's showing us is the, uh, the whole point of this passage, I think, is found in the very last verse, which is a quote from Isaiah. And the claim here is that Jesus is this figure who has the good news that he bears as his feet travel on the mountain, that he is going to take our illnesses and bear our diseases. T.S. Eliot, my favorite poet, uh, says this in one of his poems. He says, our only health is the disease. If we obey the dying nurse, that nurse is the church, whose constant care is not to please, but to remind of our Adam's curse, and that to be restored, our sickness must grow worse. That's what we're going to talk about today, uh, the sickness of humanity and the cure for humanity. Okay? So point one, the sickness of humanity we're going to talk about four aspects of the sickness, the physical sickness of humanity. Look at verses 1 through 4. Jesus heals a man with a long-term illness. Um, whenever you see the word leprosy in the Bible, uh, it could be a variety of skin conditions. And whenever anybody had a skin condition that seemed off in the Bible, that made you unclean and prevented you from entering into the realm of God's people or into the realm of normal society. Like you couldn't be around people. For instance, like if you have COVID, what do you have to do? You got to be away from people, right? You got to quarantine. Well, a leprous person was in constant quarantine. And then Jesus goes and heals a, a, a man with a more severe sickness that made him suffer terribly, the centurion servant. And then he heals Peter's mother-in-law, which and it seems like she just had like a common fever or, or cold, you know, the common cold. And here's the question I want to ask you. I know it's maybe very elementary, um, but I really want you to think about this. Why does Jesus heal people of like varying levels of illnesses? You ever thought about that? I mean, this is the first thing he does when he comes off the mountain. He's like healing people, you know, sick people everywhere. And he's like, as one of the smartest people I've ever met said, it's like he, he zaps it in reverse when he touches people, zaps life into them where death is. I think at each point, you know, we can relate. We've all had colds. I think I've had COVID about 11 times now. Um, <laughs> each variant just likes to reside in my body. Um, we all know people who've had chronic diseases that are not going away. And we will, all of us, we will all get so sick one day that, that we'll die. 
And whether you believe in God or not, there, there is no greater question to how you process the world in your existence than what you do with physical suffering and what it does to you and how you account for it. And the point is, humanity is sick. And here's the great part about what the gospel teaches us. Sickness is not natural to being human. That there is coming in existence for every single one of us where you won't be sick ever. And when Jesus the King shows up, he shows us what that existence is like. And that's part of the gospel. Can you imagine? Can you imagine never having known a day where somebody dies? Never having known a day where somebody gets cancer. This is what the king does. He, he goes into the midst of toxicity. And he says, not where I am. I remember when my, um, years ago, my grandfather died and my aunt, Tricia, uh, she looked over at him in the coffin and she just said, like in a very southern way, mm-mm. Mm-mm. And uh, when I was a campus minister, this young, young woman, Jennifer Fisher, she died when she was 19, mysteriously in her sleep. No one knew why she died. And I went to her funeral with my intern, and they were showing these videos of her of when she was a young girl, about the age of my daughter um, at the time. And my gut instinct was just like, nope, I cannot think about that. And I think what Jesus is teaching us here is that guttural instinct in the life of a human is good. And he affirms that. And when he moves into the lives of other people, he says, sickness and death, you can go back to where you came from. And I would say it differently if it wasn't Sunday morning. But I'm serious about that. In the future, when you have a resurrected body, you will only know healing. You won't have bad knees or skin that fades or hair that falls out. But you will have an eternal body that cannot be contaminated with sin and sickness and death. And what faith is, like this centurion, <laughs> is having the ability to believe in something that you don't see. That's why he says, Jesus, all you got to do is say it. I don't have to see it happen. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But that's the first aspect of the sickness that Jesus has come to address is physical sickness. Second is social sickness. The leper was alienated from society and the religious institutions. They couldn't go to church, couldn't be around other people that were worshiping. If you had a skin disease, you could only hang out with a small number of people who had that same exact skin disease. And the social lines in that day were very, very defined. In the kingdom of God... When the king shows up, what he's saying as he enters into the presence of a leper, he's saying, those lines are not going to belong in my kingdom. You who are outside are going to be inside, reclining at the table, partying with famous people. That's what verses 11 and 12 are saying. You who have always been away from people will be brought in. 
And part of what that means is that the things that we feel socially that we're afraid of will be obliterated. And we will always feel completely at home around people. We won't be alienated from This is what's been so hard about the past three years is that human beings are never meant to be isolated from one another. We are meant to be together without fear or shame, housed in love. And what Jesus is saying is, I am coming near you. And then I don't know if you saw what he did in verse 3, but he touches the guy. You know, not supposed to do that, Jesus. That could get into you and onto you. We'll talk about why he's doing that here in a little bit, but... um, the contamination was meant to be housed in that leprous person and not get out into the community. My, uh, one of my really good friends, his wife almost passed away during COVID because of a uh, guttural thing. He drops her off at the ER and he is so nervous and scared and he's trying to get into the hospital to be with his wife, whom he thinks is about to die. And the hospital staff is like, you may not enter here. Because whatever might be inside of you could get into this sacred space and you are not going to contaminate our space, says the hospital. I don't care what you feel about your wife. That's sort of how holiness and cleanliness operated in the Levitical system. Like what's inside of us could get into a space that was supposed to be clean and supposed to be holy. Now, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is going into a place that would intentionally contaminate him. And that's why he's touching the leper. He's saying humanity, the crowds, the oppressed, the sick, come. Come and contaminate me. That's why I'm here. Jesus restored. What he's doing is that he's not only restoring his physical health, but like he can be around people now. You know how lonely it is to be alone? Like it's terrible. And what what Jesus gives this guy back is a social life. He touches untouchables. And in God's kingdom, there's there's not going to be any walking up to a group of people and immediately feeling like you don't belong, that you don't have anything to say. You will always feel known and always feel like you belong. No outsiders. So Jesus comes to heal us socially. Third, he comes to heal us economically. The centurion's servant in 5 through 13 helped him with all sorts of things. In fact, in Luke's account of this same story, it says that his servant was incredibly valuable to him. The leper can now work. Up until this point, he couldn't get a job because he couldn't be around healthy people. And Simon's mother-in-law can now serve. And what Matthew is telling us is that this is what Jesus likes to do. He likes to restore people back to the things that they feel called and back to the things that they actually want to do. When uh, my mother, about uh, four or five months ago, she had knee surgery and she couldn't garden and she couldn't be a nurse in her community. And it just killed her. You know, this is what she wants to do. Uh, And Jesus comes into the life of every single person and says, I actually care about that. I care about the things that you want to contribute to society. I care about the economy. Maybe not in the way that we would generally think about, you know, the market being down, but he cares about your contribution to the whole. 
So like when you graduate from college or when you're nearing the end of your senior year and somebody asks you, hey, what are you going to do with your life? And, you're, and you just want to like crawl into a hole like, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Like, <laughs> he cares. I think he cares about that. And in the new creation, there's not going to be like, I don't know. I don't know what my contribution is to society. But you will know. And, and you'll be able to, in confidence, because you bear God's image, say, this, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And it's very valuable to you and to everybody. Not out of pride, but because you are God's image. Jesus has come to heal us economically. And he's also come to heal us racially. The Jewish nationalism in Jesus' day was, was very high. And the fact that the first person that recognizes Jesus' authority is a Roman centurion was not by mistake. The Gospel of Matthew was primarily written to a Jewish audience. And Jewish people saw Romans, and especially those soldiers, as the enemy. Even when they did good stuff for the nation of Israel, they saw them as the enemy. And this man, this centurion understands Jesus better than Jesus' own people. That's the point. And uh, what, what eventually plays out in the life of the early church is that this is, the, this is the tension point with every church in the first century. How in the world are Jewish people and Gentile people going to inhabit the same space equally? And you see the little seeds of what Jesus is doing here. He's talking about race problems. Racial injustice. In every race problem, what Jesus is saying here, as the first person that recognizes who he is as a centurion, every race problem is a spiritual problem. And when you realize how sick your own race is, how much God has healed you, that leaves absolutely no room to exclude or despise any other group, which is what the Jews were doing with the Romans and what the Romans did with the Jews. And it opens up the door to humbly hearing where our particular race or culture may have blind spots and may have even harmed other races and cultures. And I promise you, if you read the gospel in the New Testament with that lens, things will open up to you, like the book of Galatians or Romans. That this is always the concept that Jesus is working with is like, who's in and who's out? Who's good with God and who's not so good with God? And this is the great challenge in the New Testament between Jew and Gentile. What is the metric... What is the metric that makes me worse or better than another person? That's what Jesus is saying in verses 11 and 12. That's why it's so chilling. And the point is, thinking that you're worthy of God's favor because of any exterior thing that you've done or any ultimate meaning that you've attached to yourself because of some exterior thing is delusional which is the root of racism. That's why it's a spiritual problem. And all people in history who actually fought against racism and slavery realized that Christianity was their biggest ally. <laughs> William Wilberforce in England 
fought against racism, and it was economic suicide for England. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the reason why I'm doing this is because of Jesus in the scriptures. In God's kingdom, here's the continual challenge, especially for those who believe in Jesus right now, no matter what race you are. Where in your life have you stopped marveling that the God of the universe would want to be with you? Would want to include you? The moment you start assuming that you deserve that is the moment you begin to separate yourself off from other people. And God says, when he comes onto the scene in Jesus, what makes people right with God is me and me alone. So that's the sickness. We are sick physically, socially, economically, and racially. Is there a cure? Yes, there's a cure, and it starts with healing faith. What is so great about the centurion's faith? And I want you to think about his response in verses 5 through 13. You know, it's very interesting that you can make the God of the universe marvel, you know, like as a human being. Um, this guy made Jesus marvel. Why did Jesus marvel at this guy's faith? And I think it's because no one understands Jesus quite like he did yet. And this centurion knows something about Jesus based upon his career. So in the Roman army, um, a centurion, many think that they had a hundred soldiers under their authority. And when you gave a command to a soldier, it was as if it was coming from the emperor himself so that if your soldier didn't obey what you said, you could literally kill him. And there are many who would want to take his place because that was like the it was like a, an athlete. You know, you wanted to be in that position. And so when he says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and, and it will be done. What he's saying is, I get authority. I got people over me, the emperor, and I got people under me. And I don't have to see something. All I have to do is speak something, and I know it will be done. And then he says, I have not seen such faith in Israel. And the reason why is because this centurion is recognizing Jesus' authority over sickness and death. That's what a Christian looks like. That's what it means to have saving faith. That's the beginning of being healed is recognized. It's not the measure of your faith. It's who you have faith in. The object of your faith that matters. You can have really, really weak faith in this room, but if it's in the right person, you're good. You know? Like some of you are scared to get in planes, right? And you can be biting your nails and you can be like, you know, even throwing up. But it can get you from point A to point B. It's the object of your faith that matters. And the centurion knows that the object of the faith that he has is in the, in the king. Now, I can't help but to think that uh, some of you in this room may struggle because it's, you know, you see it here in this text. It's not about Jesus's ability, but it's his, about his willingness to heal a particular aspect of somebody's life or a particular aspect of some like maybe maybe you have a hard time believing in God or you don't believe in God. You really want to. And you don't know how to make it happen. Or you have somebody in your life that you really want to believe in God and you pray for him and you pray for him and you pray for him. And you're just like, Jesus, 
you have the power to do anything you want. Why won't you make this person believe? And just like in this text, both the leprous person and the centurion, it's not about Jesus' ability, it's about his willingness to heal. And so you sit there and you think about your own life. There are certainly things in my life and in the life of those that I love that I really wish would change. Like, I wish it would go away. You know, I wish it would get healed. Like today. And it doesn't. It just remains. And you sit there and you ask God, why? Why does it stay this way? And I, I think what we, <laughs> what we learn in each account here is that Jesus interacts with someone who through their own suffering has become helpless. That they've been driven to a spot where they cannot help themselves. That they cannot do it on their own and no human being can do it for them. And what, what Jesus has come to do, and you know those places in your lives, y'all. God places those things in our lives that become unbearable so that we will cry out to him. That is the whole point. And when you do, he will deliver. He will heal. And that's when you have, and I know this sounds like a Hallmark card, but bear with me. <laughs> that's when you experience the touch of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening in our text. The actual touch of the king of the universe coming and wiping away a tear like we just sang. But you actually sort of experience that. I want you to think about this for a moment. When Jesus enters into the life of the leper, when he enters into the life of Peter's mother-in-law, he doesn't have to touch them, right? He doesn't have to. Mother Teresa was uh, trying to help some really sick people out one time by washing their feet, and she was bringing along like intern-type folks, and they, and they were like trying to like dab the foot, and she's like, "No, no, no! You gotta, you gotta get in there, and like massage the foot. Get in there." And that's what Jesus is doing. He's touching people that don't ever get touched. And what Jesus is offering you and me is the same thing that he offers these three people in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's in those places that we don't want to be touched by him. He says, I'm giving you the freedom to unload and dump all of the ugliness, all of the sin, all of the sickness, all of the stuff that you wish would change, I'm giving you the freedom to dump it all onto me. That's the point of the gospel. This is the very essence of who he is. That he wants to take your illnesses and bear your diseases. And that's not just physical. It's that ugly stuff down in there. And he says, give it to me. I am the oppressor and the oppressed for you. Whatever is in your heart, dump it on me. Kill me. 
That's why he came. To get your sickness out onto him and contaminate him. You see how that just like obliterates all, <laughs> all human pride? The reason why there's a disconnect for us here is that most of us don't think that we're really that offensive to God. <clears throat> and we've never come to the point of saying, oh my gosh, like, like that, that little thing that I feel towards so many people actually killed Jesus. It killed him. Imagine the next time you had a fight with your spouse, if kind of that's what you dwelt on instead of what the other person was doing wrong. <laughs> that's the point of him touching the leper. He wants you to see that exchange and that that's the heart of the universe. And every time I explain this to someone or I kind of like dwell on it myself, we kind of come to the point of saying, whether we're religious or not, like that's, that's you know, that's interesting. I never thought of Jesus quite like that. So what do I do now? What do I do with the news that I caused Jesus Christ to go to the cross, but that also Jesus was willing and loved me so much that he wanted to do it? Um, look at what he tells the leper. He says, go to the synagogue. This is the answer that like all of us don't want to hear, but we know it's right. Go to the synagogue, do the normal stuff and wait on God. Go, go show him as a proof to you. I just healed you. Now go do the boring stuff. Do the ceremonial thing. Go live with people and pray and wait. Wait on God to show up. That's what the church is. She is the nurse for sick people. And that's what we do here. We are a community that is being changed by the gospel. Whether you believe or not. That's the point. <clears throat> Always coming back to the question, well, who is Jesus? He's the king, and he's the great physician, and we all need him. On the day of our conversion, just as much as on the day of our death. And that's why we come to this table. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll continue in worship. Father, we thank you. For your merciful hand, always healing, ever present, always coming towards us, always willing to go to the places that we want to cover up. Whether that's in individuals, communities, or whole cultures, Lord, expose us so that you may heal. And so, Lord, at this table, we realize that your body was broken and blood was spilled. And so, help us ingest that.
We wanna love like you, love like you, love because you first loved us. We wanna love like you, love like you, love because you first loved us. We wanna love like you, love like you.